Well, folks, welcome to one of the most beautiful settings that uh, you'll ever encounter for this episode of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. Um, just got done rough grouse hunting with a good friend of mine. We are staring out a giant picture window uh, looking at Elephant Lake. And Elephant Lake is a spitting distance of the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. Um, we're going we're gonna to talk grouse hunting. We're going to talk pheasant hunting. And by the time this conversation is over, we will be all the way to the Mexican border talking, uh, that's right, quail hunting. Desert quail, gambles, scalies, merns. This is your border to border episode. So you know exactly who I've got with me looking out the picture window. It is Mr. Border to Border himself, uh, a guy that I'm uh, truly honored to call a buddy. Um, we've, we've known each other for a couple of years. He is a, a, a St. Paul native, but he calls Arizona home these days Mr. Patrick Flanagan, Mr. Border to Border. Welcome to On the Wing, Patrick. I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> you are, buddy. Uh, it, I had a great, great morning. Thank you for taking me grouse hunting. You're welcome. Uh, thanks for shooting all the birds today, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was actually the best bird of the year for me. Was it really? Yeah. What made it the best bird of the year? Uh, I, th I think I've been chasing that bird a little bit. and uh, what, it was, was, was that the drummer you were after? Maybe? Size, male proximity of where he flushed the first time i think i think we got him yeah so uh to set the scene um i drove up uh late monday evening and um we got up this morning it's kind of a uh, drippy day out here a little bit rainy and uh patrick took me out um and he's like okay we're, we're gonna we gotta do a little bit of hunting before this podcast and he's like there's a drummer that lives in this patch i cover and he's grinning right now because he's like, I haven't counted it. I think you said three times. Well, twice this year, once last. And uh, so we went in there, and they flushed a little wild. Yeah, I, I think it, the rain it, the it, rain had them hold up. And, and maybe my dog bumped them. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just... <laughs> you're, you're too kind. <laughs> Anyways, we flushed, uh, flushed a couple of birds over a beaver pond. And Patrick's like, I know exactly where they went. Mm -hmm. And we uh, popped around the beaver pond and um, your the, the encounter. Dog. Yeah, the encounter had uh, had both your and I Well, dog. I had to um, wool mine into an honor, which um, thankfully she didn't bust uh, Rita, but Rita had that that bird dead to rights. You went in. We didn't know exactly where it was. I was coming in on the left. You were coming in on the right. And just made a the perfect flush, right? Just yeah, I saw a glimpse of it. <clears throat> I saw a glimpse of it um, booking down the hill, and I didn't know how far I was going to run. Luckily, it, it, it took flight quick, and I think we only had about a 15-yard opportunity to make a shot. You had a 15-yard. I barely <laughs> saw it. <laughs> and you, you connected. It was perfect shot, and at least my dog was uh, in on the retrieve, so I can take a little credit there. Teamwork. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, 
well, let's for folks that don't know Mr. Border to Border, and most people probably do because you're 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 one of the elite members of the Instagram Upland world. Um, po- folks can follow you at Border to Border Outfitters on Instagram. Border to Border Outfitters on Instagram. Very easy, um, and you will see uh, Patrick's escapades from the boundary waters edge of Minnesota. Um, all the way through Kansas roosters, all the way to uh, desert and Mern's quail uh, in Patagonia on the Mexican border. Um, if you are on Instagram, you have to give Patrick a follow. But tell tell our listeners um, the Patrick Flanagan life story, or as much as you're willing to share <laughs> <laughs> to the to the pheasants forever and quail forever audience. Oh, I feel like I kind of closed the chapter on that uh, hiatus of road living although it's uh you started again in the middle of august so (laughs) you do have a a a little bit of a brand there that uh dave oric a a mutual friend of ours wrote a story about you uh for the pioneer press it was Uh, a great story and and that sort of put you on the map right yeah it kind of rolled everything from um doing the 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 three men outdoors Mm -hmm. the the four horsemen. Oh, the four, yeah, yeah, the yeah, four outdoorsmen. Yeah, and we did that uh, a couple years ago, and um, you know, Travis came up and filmed the flush last year, and then we've got the second filming of that coming up in January. Um, yeah, I can't, I can't imagine sitting here right now and thinking in three years, um, I'd actually be in this position. Hmm. You know, it was a, it was, a, it was a dream, and and took a lot of work. Uh, now I think we're kind of on the edge of, you know, branded yeah. escapades. Yeah, you know, well, like y- y- you're going to get an adventure, and um, it's it's worth the investment. It's not it's not a charity run. Yeah. Well, just to um, give the li- listeners a um, little bit more of your backstory, you grew up in St. Paul. Grew up in St. Um, Paul, East Side. Went to uh, Creighton Durham Hall, where Paul Molitor and, and Joe Maurer mm-hmm. um, matriculated and became Major League Baseball players. And you were a pretty good baseball player, but you um, you really made your mark as a football player. Played a little bit of football, yeah. We had, we'd and put a squad together and knocked ran off, the ball. Knocked off a, a knock, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. You knocked off a team that uh, really... Chaps my <laughs> chaps my behind. Yeah, but folks, Bob was actually in the stands in the nineteen ninety seven uh Cretan Escanaba game where we, we left our we left our city network and went and played our first real Smash Mouth football that I'd ever had to encounter four quarters of you know, of football. I don't think the game was won until the last six minutes. That is, so that's pretty remarkable when you think about it. And folks that don't know the geography of um, up north here, you know, St. Paul to Escanaba, I mean, that's uh, two states away. Um, you know, that's a, about a seven, eight-hour trip for a football team to to play. A, I think it was a home-at-home home one year um, Escanaba traveled to Creighton, and the next year Creighton traveled to Escanaba. And I, I'm reluctant to admit Cretan won both times, I believe. You probably remember better than I do. <laughs> I think I was in the Navy for the second one. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I remember that game pretty vividly. <laughs> <laughs> I think I only had like 70 yards, 68 yards that game, and it was 
every yard mattered. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you you um, um, went from Cretan to the Navy, and and then after you left the Navy, you got into. Um, well, I guess you you did a little bit of bird hunting growing up, right? Yeah, grew up. Uh, you know, St. Paul had you know an area which is all now suburb uh, Farmington and Castle Rock area. My dad would take me down there. We had a couple of Britneys, and, and that's kind of where I started, you know, just kind of rolling through different kind of covers and, and, and just following dogs and probably didn't carry a gun at the time. And uh, did a little field trialing with uh, with him. Um, but then that was, it was probably about eighth grade where we were dogless for mm. the remainder of my adolescent junior life. And it wasn't until... Oh, well, probably 2007, and I uh, took a took a job out in Kansas. It was pheasant country, and I was invited on an opener and contacted Steve Reese from Top Gun Kennels, and he got me Hank, and 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 the rest came pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, so it's it is remarkable how like so many connections in our lives stories have crossed, right? The, the Escanaba, St. Paul connection, the, the Steve Reese, um, in Top Gun Kennels connection out of Iowa, you have, you kind of got into bird hunting or re reactivated in bird hunting as an adult mm-hmm. through a love of a short hair that came from the exact same bloodline, same kennel. Um, you know, some of the same, well, certainly same, um, Higgins dog, that um, Reese, the Reese family is known for that my pups have come from. So, you know, one of the neat pieces today is, you know, uh, we were able to hunt some of those top gun dogs together in the grouse woods. And Yeah, I think that was kind of the beauty of this morning. Yeah. yeah it really was. They did uh, They did very well together. But you're, you're starting to go to the dark side and starting <laughs> to, <laughs> you're starting to uh, spread your wings with variety of breeds. You, Tell tell us how many dogs you currently own. Fifteen. <laughs> Fifteen dogs, and break them down for us by breed. Um, I think there's seven German Shorthairs, um, three English Pointers, three English Setters, and a and a half breed, half Brittany, half half Setter. Wow. All right, so so we'll weave back to Kansas. You got a Top Gun dog. And that's where you started guiding, is that right? Or that that's where you got back into bird hunting? Yeah, 2008 okay. um, would have been my first year back hunting pheasants. Um, rolled through that through 2011, you know, I added Jackson. Um, then from that point on, I took a job back in Phoenix. Um, I was roofing still at the time, and I'm kind of introduced to Gamble's quail. Mm. And, you know, just like a new dog, a new bird is like a new toy, you know. It's <laughs> like, wow, this is this is a whole different kind of hunt, and they're everywhere. At the time, they're just, there were so many birds, um, and I had, didn't have to go far out the out of the door to do it. Um, I think that lasted, you know, for for about a year, and I, and I started reading about Mern's quail, and I think I went down my first year, and went the whole season without shooting one. Hmm. I'd see them, I'd find them. There wasn't as many as there are now, but um, it was it, it was it, it's a different setting than I've ever been in before. Yeah. Um, it is, and I never knew there was a bird that could hold so tight. So when they did fly, when they when the covey went up, um, 
it was it was just it's an awe-inspiring like it, it overwhelmed me past being able to think about putting the trigger and a bead on one you huh. know so i've never i've never hunted merns do they hold tighter than a woodcock yes i mean yes and no i mean we've seen woodcock kind of scurry away and, right. and and run on a dog but um something about a merns the moment leading up to the flush is you know even with a woodcock you know you you take a step and it usually goes up yeah. you know yeah um on a merns coil you could take a step and another step and circle your dogs scratch your head have lunch <laughs> french press coffee <laughs> Go back and think about it, and then take one more step, and they all just blew up in your face. <laughs> I mean, it's just it's it's crazy. It's um, a photographer's dream. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I I do. I'm waiting for that. <laughs> I think AJ, um, he's coming down on the 18th of December. Um, I think that'll be the first time we will really be able to capture Mern's quill. AJ DeRosa from Project Upland. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So you guys are going to do a Project Upland Merns Quail Hunt in Arizona this December. Yep, 18th, my birthday. Um, got a few surprises up my sleeve. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> the itinerary for the National Forest Permit was like uh, giving too much away. <laughs> so it's like, oh, man, they're learning all my, you know, the insides of this trip that I didn't want to share with them. But uh, a couple things up my sleeve, and I think it'll be interesting. So I kind of took you off on a um, on a tangent with the Merns quail, um, equating them to woodcock. But bring me back to so you're hunting um, gambles and you're hunting Merns and you're getting addicted, right? These you got some dogs, you got these new birds. Um, what led to the guiding? I guess the just the passion of running the dog. Mm -hmm. um, I was doing all my hunting by myself. I didn't have a partner. Um, so you were roofing in the you, Monday through Friday? I was roofing a little bit. I was doing I was selling advertising still. I, I was running the Pat Henry store, um, which I just closed the doors on here this last summer, um, finally, which it was dormant for years, but I wanted to close it. with a. So what was the Pat Henry store? Oh, it was Magnetic Media. Okay. Um, I did from 2001 to 2017. Okay. And that kind of funded it all <laughs> i would i would work for four months and then take off hunting so you heard that boys and girls if you want to start a guiding business of your own start a magnetic media company yeah. and it'll fund hunting trips from border to border Literally. It worked for I, you, I think right? i worked in every every market that i worked had a had an upland game bird <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> so i what when did the idea of, you know, I'm going to become this upland migration follower, you know, and guy, a guy that starts in northern Minnesota on rough grouse, um, you're not normally here in September because you're out running dogs in Montana and North Dakota then. Yeah, that's kind of the what I do for myself and prep work to get ready, although it doesn't really sum up to what happens when we enter the woods, but transition's going to – the dog makes the transition. You tighten up the dogs on sharp tails and hunts. Yeah, let the big let the big running dogs do their thing. You know, just look at everybody, analyze, you know, what you got this year, who's getting older, who's fresh, who's healthy, who's running good, who needs more work. Um, seems like the sharp tails allow for a lot of encounters and a lot of opportunity to make corrections or or fine-tune things. And, you know – it just sets up the timing of 
being dormant from March till late August, mm-hmm. especially in Arizona where, you know, if you're, you got heat and snakes and right. stuff that, you know, makes doing everything but yard work, you know, something that's, you know, a safe venue. Right. Well, so, so you're in September, you're kind of in those Western states, Montana, North Dakota, tighten up the dogs. You start guiding uh, grouse in October. You've moved to pheasants in November in Kansas, mm-hmm. and then you moved um, back home to Arizona. Right after what, Thanksgiving. Right after Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and you hunt there through uh, the end, end of the Arizona quail season, which will mm-hmm. take you through the end of February, right? February 10th. Yeah. Oh, through February 10th. So at what point did this all coalesce and you're like, okay, here's, here's my plan. Cause I don't, honestly, I don't know anybody like you that like, I know duck hunting guides that follow the migration from North Dakota to, you know, they'll move down and they'll guide Missouri or, and then they'll move down and guide Arkansas, maybe Louisiana. And they follow the duck migration. You're the only upland migration guy that I know. What, when did that coalesce? Um, I was living in Old Town Scottsdale and it really wasn't my, my kind of life. Um, you know, I was separated with a girlfriend and, and, and realized that, oh, my lease was up. I'm going to hit the road. Had a, had an open house sale. (laughs) (laughs) Everything went. Really? Yeah. Everything went. In Scottsdale, uh, Arizona. Yeah. That's like the most random place to have a garage sale too, isn't it? Oh, I know. (laughs) And, And so... I think I remember the day that I pulled out and I made New Mexico um, that afternoon. And uh, I, I, I think I was destined actually for 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 internship on training on, on how to get better on training dogs. And uh, I just had shoulder surgery and uh, I was like, well, I'm going to have to do this on my own because in the VA system, you basically have to be in one area to go through rehabilitation and be able to continue with doctors. They don't really set up good for traveling. Hmm. And so I didn't have a place. So I just kept following the weather reports. I'd get somewhere it's too humid. I'd get somewhere it's too buggy. Get somewhere it was, you know, it just, there wasn't. It's the only thing I knew. I was like, well, it's got to be the best temperature for me right now. It's got to be near Ely. Hmm. And, it was not actually any bit easier. <laughs> so I turned the car straight 90 to the west and uh, and headed out to North Dakota and Montana. Huh. So Ely, Minnesota, folks, not Ely, Nevada. But huh. um, so you, well, first of all, um, you mentioned that you connected to the VA. Um, you spent some time in the Navy. Mm-hmm. So I'd be remiss if I didn't thank you for serving the country. I loved um, it. Was great. Did you t- tell us what you did for the Navy and how long you were there? Well, I did. Uh, I did three years on the Abraham Lincoln, which is an aircraft carrier, um, from '98 to '01. And I was a bosun mate. I went in um, with no job lined up, just a regular sailor, and uh, basically just did the grunt work. You know, mm. we drove the ship, we did the anchoring, the mooring, and um, underway replenishments. Um, worked, basically we keep the ship afloat, hmm. you know, um, the bus of rust, paint it back up. Hmm. And so, you know, there wasn't, I didn't join the Navy for that, but I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it the best I can. Um, I was up for sailor a year, uh, one year. Really? 
in the entire navy no no on my on my fleet oh okay and so um you know but it wasn't enough you know i I really wanted to be a frog man i gotta tell you that's that was my goal i I wanted to swim yeah i don't know if so much at the time it was it was you know it wasn't about guns and everything it was just about espionage (laughs) (laughs) swimming you know and so i told him i'm like hey i don't i'm great you know it's work works wonderful but there's more out there than this and so they said we can't leave you we'll send you to search and rescue school and so i did that graduated that um but it still wasn't enough and so when the time was come to get out of the navy i was training down in coronado and a lot of people were getting out at the time and they just said you know um the navy's the navy's changing and it wasn't the navy that i signed up for Hmm. and so i decided to uh you know, get out, go home, look at college, um, you know, think about that. I started playing handball again towards the tail end of my Navy career, which they supported too, which was nice because there was a a big network of, of good top-end uh, ball players out in Washington. You said handball. Mm-hmm. I'm, you, know, I, you know, in preparation for this, um, I looked up handball video because mm-hmm. I knew you were – you know, an elite handball player, but I didn't, uh, I honestly hadn't followed handball. It looks to me like, um, and you can probably slap me in the face, looks like lacrosse without a stick. Yeah, well, like they say, <laughs> if, if God wanted man to play racquetball, he would have webbed our fingers. <laughs> um, we don't, a handball player is, um, it's it's a chess piece inside four walls, huh. you know, and uh, it's it's grueling, it really is, and it takes a lot of ability. Anybody can do it. But it 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 helps to have a little talent on hmm. the on the the natural side. Like I was born ambidextrous, so that really are you out. really okay. Mm-hmm. And you and I are are of the uh, diminutive nature. We're probably in the five seven range. <laughs> <laughs> does that help you in handball? It, it does. It does. <laughs> um, in ways, I mean, obviously you can get low. Yeah. You know, and, and when you're striking the ball four inches off the ground, you know, you hit low, it 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 goes low. Right. And so I played a power game. Um, never, never had the win that I really wanted. I had the talent, and mm-hmm. and when I finally figured it out mentally, what I was doing wrong, um, my back went. Mm. And I I'd never played since 2006. I haven't dropped a ball. Your back. So you mentioned your so- shoulder too. Is that connected, or is that a different? No, injury? I think that was just possibly. I mean, a yeah. lot of years I started playing when I was nine. So. Yeah. So, you know, the the short um, stature um, helps you in handball. It also helps you grouse hunting, doesn't it? Do you notice? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's I get that I get ripped on that all the time because from grouse perspective and you can add to this like versus pheasants, right? Grouse, you can bob and weave, find your way through some of those deer trails, right? Especially in the blowdown areas yeah, which we walked Yeah, dipping under alder and it's bent over and you're 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 just through the woods faster and, than the big guy. And clearly you're you're at a different level than I am. You do this every day for the month of October and you're bobbing and weaving and you can find your path through. But, you know, I, I, I've taken first timers out many times and I'm doing what you're doing, like moving through. And they're like, geez, Bob, you know, how are you finding a way through? Right? You must get that all the time from guiding people. They're like, slow down, Patrick. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, sometimes it's you know, it's, it's not a direct line. It never is in the woods. Yeah. You know, um, 
you know, I'm looking at a path that might be 30 yards off the dog yeah. that might be faster than, than straight to it, you know? And, and I think a lot of that comes with, um, as far as guiding is, um, maybe having somebody that's been with you before, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they, they hunted a couple of years ago and they came back and, and got another trip. Um, you, you kind of start working together. Like, uh, there's unisons there. A right. lot of less, you, I communicate a lot in Arizona. We have yeah. time to communicate. Um, here it's, it, it's, it's, it'd be nice if we didn't have to so much. Because um, time is of the essence. Right, because grouse are so bumpy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whereas bumpy Mern's start... quail, you can th- take your time. Exactly. Hmm. Um, what about um, desert quail? They're known as, <laughs> yeah, they're known as runners. Can you really take your time getting to them, or is that a different deal? Well, you're so out of breath, you can't talk. So oh, okay. <laughs> it's just, yeah, you know, but it, it, it depends on the dog. If they're running, they're going to keep running. Right. Um, so if your dog can kind of figure out how to, how to get around them and stop, um, stop that activity. And then, and then obviously you want them to fly. And then once you get them to fly, they're, they're holding tight. So I keep getting ahead of myself. I keep breaking <laughs> it. I want to know like how you, how this whole game plan come together, it came together because I want to go back in time, like, you know, Michael J. Fox and, and say to the, to the 19, 87 version of myself okay this is patrick's plan and this is how i'm going to become border to border right like so you you come up to ely and it's like ooh, this is a little colder than i expected and you turn west and you head to montana and north dakota mm-hmm. um was there a moment or something that happened that okay this is the plan that you started putting it all together or did it more sort of little things along the way opened up for you and like okay i'm gonna do this and then i'm gonna do that and it, you sort of ping-ponged to where you are today yeah i guess it was a it was the would have been the last season um last january february before i decided to um give it a shot hmm. um there was a guy that i pursued um for years and years even when i was back in kansas roofing i was calling him and i was like hey i want to know about i want to know about arizona i want to know about quail i want a job Mm-hmm. And he just kept hanging the phone up on me. And so towards the end of that, it would have been five years ago, um, I was at a field trail and I was looking for a home for a rescue dog that I had. And I, I don't know, there's 50 cars in the parking lot. And I knocked on one, rolled the window down. It's him. Really? And I said, I want a job. <laughs> and <laughs> now he wants to talk to me. And he said, you know what? Um, come up to my house in a week and let's talk about it. And so that's when I realized with the marketing that I knew about and um, I could build a website, mm-hmm. had enough dogs at the time to get through a season. Um, but, but to back up um, that, that January, February um, I started hunting with, you know, a few friends mm-hmm. or I would meet an old guy at the grocery store and ask him and he'd be like, I want to do that. And this is in Arizona. Mm-hmm. And this is when I started figuring out the birds and things were getting steady and I was understanding, you know, how to stay on them all day and, and go new places and find them, mm-hmm. you know, like it was, it wasn't so, you know, a weekend guy wants to go to where he knows it's good. Right. And I want to go explore where I don't know what anything right. is. And so take people out, give them that opportunity and then watch the dogs set up perfect for them to make the shot. That was hooked. That was the part. Mm. That was it. I said, I want to I do this. 
I want other people to experience this the way I did. And uh, to be honest, in four years, it's a daily venue hmm. to look over and see somebody smile or scratch her head like, why did I miss that? Or, But <clears throat> if the dogs weren't working so in unison and, and, and I don't know, uh, luck, yeah, you know, like I don't know what I'm doing real different because I'm not no trainer and just – Something has happened in our pack that we all we're all on the same page. Yeah, and and I've had fathers and sons break down, and you know if I just have I've had so many good moments in the field. I realized that you know I sold advertising for 16 years and didn't really enjoy it, mm-hmm. but I enjoy it every day. Yeah, so I I can see the enjoyment part, but very limited amount of guiding that I've done and not on a professional level, but just, you know, taking people out, quote unquote, as a guide, right? Taking them to spots. That pressure that I feel makes it uncomfortable. Like, um, I love the idea of being you going to, you know, following rough grouse to pheasants to quail, but that pressure, does that get to you to produce yeah, but I feed off it. Um, you know, I have moments where I'm not so confident. Mm-hmm. But then I let the personality kick in, and I think that was built over my years and job experiences and and leadership, you know, in the Navy and and and, and really growing up and playing handball. You know, I was I was I was one of the only kids in the in the men's locker room. You know, and I'm fourth grade sitting in a steam room. And I've got all. Th- five walks of life there mm. inner city my dad's best friend was a um, marxist communist hmm. phd hmm. dr dan kieselhorst he was my dad's best friend and my dad's a real conservative so growing up i was not allowed to talk in the steam room so i'm allowed <laughs> to listen that's and, a, just for <laughs> listeners that's probably good uh, good rule no matter what right don't talk in the steam room <laughs> yeah and so these guys would be and you know having debates and and and, and, and i just Grew up picking up all that, that information, and um, and then caddying as a kid. Caddying for golf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you learn your place, hmm. and then and then and then and then all of a sudden you're a salesman, and the whole thing is how do you close a deal? Hmm. You know, well, I want to close a deal, but I don't want to be a salesman. Mm-hmm. I want to be, I want to be honest. I want to be, you know, motivating. Right, help them see helps a client succeed with their goals through advertising. Mm-hmm. So those those downturn times when we're walking a mile and a half, two miles, and we haven't flushed a covey, mm-hmm. I just change the tune, hmm. change the tune, and the big thing is keeping them in. You know, keeping their heads in the game, keeping their heads in the game, letting them know that it can only be down for so long so don't think about the pressure because it's going to happen mm-hmm. just well, i want you to be ready when it happens so you know there's just this the whole psychology of it I, I love guiding for that i mean most most of the people that i know that run um gun dogs they they said i couldn't do what you do because hmm. they don't like the personal part of the game right you know and and that's something that i really enjoy on hmm. and then um we're all the same when we get in my truck you know, I really, ple- I mean, I don't care if you had to save for two years to buy a day with me or it's chump change. Right. We're all the same. And so we're all on the same level. And uh, 
usually, you know, you can talk to a person one way. And, you know, in, in my world, I view myself as almost, you know, if someone real successful or wealthy is in there, you know, there's a certain way you can talk to that person. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like I've got a knack to, to, to talk at my level. Obviously, I'm not a doctor, so the, I'm not going to be talking science with you, which I try not to talk science to anybody. <laughs> but um, you know, it's 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 fun. I mean, I just I just play my game, and I'm I'm myself every day. I I never change who I am. You know, I just. So do you have days where you struggle, or are you able? You have enough confidence in enough spots where you can produce. Yeah, my struggle is usually um, tough between the ears. You know, especially if I'm leading the way and I'm walking through the woods and, and, and I know the people behind me are, but the problem that I kind of get myself into is my legs are too strong. Mm. So I know, I know the struggle is going to be ended with boot leather, mm. you know, cause I can, I, I'm, I'm not going to quit. Right. You can walk your way to birds. It's just a matter of can the clients keep up. Yep. And so, and it, and it's all in perspective. I've learned a lot from some of the, some of the um, older guides and successful, even fly fishing guides. Um, about what they do when, mm. when, when the bite's not on, you know. What's the best bit of advice you've gotten from a, a fellow guide? Um, you, well, you can't control the weather. Mm. And, you know, you're not guaranteed to harvest something. You're guaranteed lunch, <laughs> dogs that are prepared, right? and me, yeah. you know. that, And that's what you're guaranteed to get. Um, just happens, you know, I'm, I'm reaping some, some, some good harvest time. Like mm-hmm. we haven't hit a drought in a while and, you know, I can keep people basically on birds. Yeah. Even last year here in, um, the downswing of the grouse season, it was cut short cause of the blizzard, you know, before Halloween, but, um, we had a successful steady everyday flush count and that, that was great. And then the woodcock really helped. Yeah. That's always nice. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. When things are slow and you kind of just shift left into a little bit of cover, and they can see some of them yeah. woodies fly. Yeah, thank goodness for the woodcock migration because they can bring in a little extra action. Yeah, is there a difference um, in the type of people that book you, or expectations from grouse hunting to pheasant hunting to quail hunting? Yeah, good question. Everybody, um, I, I I have yet to really book the diehard grouse hunter the guy that's been doing it for years and mm. and I'm, I'm looking forward to that i think it's coming um somebody that understands it already my guys are usually guys that have never done it mm. and so you know it's it's a new experience i just had a, a gentleman from kansas who you know he, he made his 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 career hunting and he you know it was a humbling few days i mean it was slow and it was coming off of four days that were just unbelievable. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I wanted it bad for him, but he got the one he wanted. He got, he got, he got some taxidermy hmm. and he did, he he saw birds, he pulled his trigger, but it wasn't the hunt that I wanted. But, um, the thank you card that he left me at the end, mm-hmm. when I read that, I realized that we did fulfill his trip. Hmm. Um, he wanted a poetic experience. He wanted something that was throwback. He could have purchased this cabin. Right. He he purchased the small one down by the lake. Um. 
then you go to Kansas. Uh huh. It's a different. It's a different hunter that wants to buck Kansas. They everybody has a position where they 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 put South Dakota in their mind. Flushing pheasants out right. of cornfields. Right. That's not what I offer. Matter of fact, we don't hunt any um, cropland. We hunt. It's almost just like hunting Montana, really, in a way. I mean, so we're gonna roll pastures and grass and CRP and. Okay. And we're going to work for our birds, and uh, it is, it's again, it's a poetic experience. Um, so I think sometimes if maybe I get the wrong customer there, they're looking for more of the South Dakota uh, effect. Um, but then you get to Arizona. Mm-hmm. And I love bringing people in at night. Bringing people into Arizona because they can't see the landscape. They can't see the landscape till sunrise. Mm-hmm. And almost everybody's like, whoa. Hmm. I thought I was getting up, and there's going to be saguaro cactuses, mm-hmm. and and it was going to be desert, and you know, and it's like, no, you're you're in this like mystical grassland with just views and vistas that are like, um, it's not even like anything in America. <laughs> I've had people like you know, the guys that have hunted the Argentina duff shoots, uh-huh. and they're like, that's what this is like. Really, and you're you're based out of Patagonia. No. Patagonia is an area that we travel through often, um, and have breakfast and coffee there. There's um, a, a, a lot of mingling there, a lot of orange mm-hmm. in the morning. So that's kind of where everybody siphons off from. Gotcha. But um, a little bit north of there in Sonoida. Okay. And it's a mixture of two markets, um, wine vineyards and cattle ranchers, hmm. cowboys. And uh, it's, it's, it's a beautiful place. It really is. So wh- where do... Is there a difference in geography where the people come from to go to grouse hunt in northern Minnesota versus the folks that are coming to you in Kansas versus the folks that are coming to Arizona? Is there any generalizations you can make? Yeah, I notice a lot of the um, a lot of the guys that want to come out here and grouse hunt um, are uh, are from the East Coast, hmm. um, where they have woodcock and migrations of woodcock, but the numbers of rough grouse are down. Um, you know, and then I'll get, you know, the Arizona people want to come up and, and, and try it because they've never seen the Northwoods. Um, so, yeah. Do you have a lot of people that, um, that cross back and forth? Like they'll, you know, um, a New Yorker that'll come to Minnesota to go grouse hunting is like, well, I'm going to come and, you know, hunt Kansas pheasants with you next year and then Arizona quail the next. Yeah. I've, I've got a good slew of people on their fifth trip in four years no and kidding some of them done all three nice yeah it's it's nice to have them back and and that's the kind of when i was talking about that synchronized effect where they know their guide mm-hmm. and they know how he works and i know them and i know how they work and so it gets to be even more fun mm-hmm. you know and and, and it, i just i love having them back um just love it well, it is um, a testament to you, and, and it's got to be flattering in a way where they come back year after year and, you know, five years in a row going with you to different places. That's that's a testament to the kind of guide you are because we've all had those trips where you're like, oh, boy, <laughs> I'm with I'm with Joe again, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's like, how come I can't get Pat? You know? have been on a launch on Mille Lacs. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, you know? The fishing guide that, you know, like, yeah, well, you we, you know the deal. So it's pretty flattering when people are fifth year in a row, right? Yeah, yeah. I just had a guy come. He just left the other day, and 
He's on his fifth one. Um, he closes out the season in Arizona every year. Mm. So folks that are coming to you in Kansas, are they from Texas? Are they from out west? Who's coming to shoot roosters in Kansas? Really? Uh, be surprised. Uh, Colorado. Okay. California. Um, Minnesota. Wisconsin. You know, all they, and, and they want to bring their dog. Mm-hmm. And so, great, and I a, welcome that. And you got a four-bird limit in Kansas, the only state you can do that. Four-bird limit, a um, few flocks of prairie chickens. Mm, nice. I'm working on the quail right now, and we've got some things now going on out east that's helping out. Yeah, the quail, or Kansas is one of the greatest places because from the mixed bag perspective, right? You bag a rooster find a covey of quail you add a prairie chicken to that mix yeah. kansas is a destination from that perspective yeah uh all right now let's go to arizona you've got scalies mern uh, scalies and gambles in the desert and you got merns up um in the grassy areas who's coming to hunt um those birds with you and are they different for the desert are the people different for the desert birds versus merns or what the one person wants to shoot all three yeah, um, well, it, the client that comes to Arizona almost hunts Texas, Kansas, Georgia. Oh, so they're making yeah. the tour all every year. Yeah, yeah, and, and they're the and, hardcore. And, yeah, and we're their their final destination. Hmm. They're all okay. So when we get there, I know the expectations are heightened they want to see dog work and birds are the bonus Hmm. and and when we get there they're they're getting both they're getting both and um it's it's exactly what they set out for Hmm. you know and it's it's great because and then it's not they were successful in georgia they were successful in kansas and so you you know you're like the final piece to really making um, a whole season come to an end. Yeah. And so and they're savvy, you know they, they've they've done it before. Hmm. You know a lot of people have hired you know the guides that um, are no longer guides anymore. Hmm. You know I've had guides that you know seven year old guy that's been like I've I've had every guide in your you know before you. Wow. And so I learned a lot from that too. Like the death marches and stuff. Right. I realized two years ago I was way too easy on everybody. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah. You were you weren't hunting them hard enough. Oh, no. I just I just you know I I looked at when we're hunting desert birds. I wanted it to fall in the lap you know, too easy, like a merns quail. It's uh-huh. like you know you 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 can kind of pick apart your areas and 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 you know when the birds you know when you're gonna be there on them. Oh. But a gambles quail, you know, it could be a make or breaker, 300 yards that you just didn't cover. Hmm. But inside of 2,000 acres, that's that's a long walk for nothing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, yeah. you And, and it's an exotic bird. I mean, it, and, and to give somebody all three in a day um, is priceless. Mm-hmm. It's priceless. I, I, I do it enough that... I don't do it every day, but when I do it enough to 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 never forget each time it happened. Hmm. Is there something from a guide's perspective that you can suggest for people when they're thinking about booking a guide, whether it be, you know, rough grouse, 
or, you know, picking a you know, Gulf of Mexico fishing charter? You know, what, um, it, it, from a guide's perspective, what would you tell people to, uh, questions to ask or things to be mindful of um, to make it more enjoyable for them and for you? Yeah, um, I mean, how do you ask somebody if they're complacent? Hmm. You know, I mean, I just, you know, I, I just feel like you have to, you can never quit getting better and you have to keep digging hard to continue to be worth spending time with. Hmm. And so I think a lot of people, and just human nature, any genre of work is when your books are full, things get complacent mm. and the money becomes easy. You know, there's no easy dollar. Mm. And when I wake up in the morning, I don't, I got to earn that dollar. And so, you know, is there a sign that says, you know, Hey, maybe these guys have just been too good too long. Mm. So is there a question that they can ask a guide like, like you to know that you've got it dialed in that year? Yeah. Um, and maybe how many, there isn't. How many other guides do you have? Yeah. You know? Um, you know, maybe maybe you don't know who you're going to show up and get. Mm. Um, boy, that's a tough one. That's, okay, that's, that's all right. I, you know, it's, well, the one thing I can tell you is Patrick's the kind of guy that you do want to have as a guide, you know, because, you know, one of the things that probably, um, one of the first ways we connected is when my... Um, when my Izzy dog um, died in the woods, um, she she had a ruptured carotid artery during a grouse hunt, and um, I don't think I even knew you personally. Just knew you through Instagram, and you sent me a note um, with condolences, and that that kind of speaks to the person you are. And and from that point, you know, we started chatting online a little bit, and and uh, you came, and, and people come to pheasants forever and quail forever, asking for us to spend money or do this or that a lot and you did the opposite you did you came to to me and said how can i help <laughs> I, you know and from a nonprofit conservation organ organization's perspective uh, just music to my ears right and when somebody comes and sees the connection between habitat and introducing a new generation of hunters and says how can i help and now we're going on four years where you've donated a hunt to our organization, which we use um, at Pheasant Fest. So I'm teasing here, folks, that uh, if you come to Pheasant Fest in Schaumburg, greater Chicago area, February 22nd, 3rd, and 4th, um, we do have a hunt with Patrick on the auction. I believe it'll be on Saturday night, uh, the Saturday night banquet. And it'll be a trip that you've donated to Arizona. Um, this will be the fourth time you've done this. Mm -hmm. So just to go on a little bit further, just, um, let me say some more nice things about <laughs> you because you're such a good dude. Um, the first time you gave the Arizona trip and I actually tried to win that with a, <laughs> with a buddy of mine, Matt Kaharski. And we got, you watched this happen too. <laughs> uh, we were bidding and we got outbid by Howard Vincent, our president and CEO's sons, 
who bought that trip. You uh, and Marco. They just kept going up, and I'm like, what? they were college age, but they outbid us. So Ian and Marco Vincent uh, bought that trip and went to Arizona, hunted with you, had such a good time. The next year at Pheasant Fest, they Minneapolis, Minneapolis, they bid up and uh, bought the Milwaukee or um, the Kansas pheasant trip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a testament in and of itself. You know, Howard Vincent's two sons, back to back years buy the trip to be with you. And we got the South Dakota coming in tomorrow and night. Tomorrow night, um, they didn't buy the the grouse trip because they can do that out their back door. But uh, the couple of guys from, I think they are from South Dakota, right? Sioux mm-hmm. Falls area, bought the trip at the Pheasant Fest in Sioux Falls, and they'll be up here tomorrow night, the end of October to close out your grouse season. And um, and then you, we've circled back to the Schaumburg event in this February. You've donated a trip to Arizona, which, yes, listeners i will be bidding on <laughs> but i am i've already demonstrated i can be outbid <laughs> but um so that's that's a testament to you as a person and as a guide that you're just so willing to you know put forth um kind of your heart you know your money where your mouth is too you you get the connection to habitat conservation and our future it, it, d- where did that come from? Is that some the conservation component? Did that come from your your family, mom and dad? Is it something you've witnessed um, through, you know, hunting all these different region regions? Why is habitat conservation and membership in um, in, in pheasants forever and quail forever important to Patrick Flanagan? Mm-hmm. Well, I did it as a kid. And uh, I feel like there was some years where, you know, um, we were losing quality hunting. I think mm-hmm. there was, and to see it coming full strong and, or, you know, it, things now today are better than they were 10 years ago in my eyes. Like, um, you know, the pheasant hunting down in Jackson County now, which I'll be. Jackson headed. County, Minnesota? Yes, yeah. Okay. You know, um, so the Minnesota pheasant's back and, and, and. And, and to see and and like you said, um, you know, you get you got me set up for the that you did that, you know, the the, the farm in Missouri. Oh, that, sure, with the good. farm bill biologist that's helping you out. Mm-hmm. Um, some property that uh, Patrick has in in Missouri. Mm-hmm. One of our farm bill biologists came and, and and for listeners, you know, if you own land anywhere, our farm bill biologist will work with you to. Um, figure out what conservation programs you might qualify for in a federal program like CRP or a state program like, oh, it could be CREP in South Dakota or RIM in Minnesota or IHAP in Iowa. And uh, Jacob Swafford, our farm bill biologist in Missouri, um, connected with Patrick and yep. did, a, did a conservation plan on your property. Yep. Yep, we're going to do a pollination program and you got us on the, the list for CRP and, and some timber cutting. So and and I gotta I gotta do that I can't take 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 I mean there's in order for have this job down the road um I, I gotta get involved somehow with I gotta build give something back you know you know the donation that's easy I just take a, a couple guys out but well it's to easy. watch it grow yeah. you know to to I watched you know I've been hunting a deer stand in Missouri for for eight years and. I used to stand up there and, and, and look down and there'd be quail, you know, in the last four years I haven't seen any. Hmm. And so I thought, you know what, what's it going to take to get these guys back, you know? 
easy, right? Yeah. Well, just contact Bob St. Pierre. <laughs> well, uh, thank you for contacting me. Uh, for listeners out there, you know, there are a couple things. Uh, if you do have property uh, anywhere in the country, uh, Jacob Swafford, our farm bear biologist in Missouri, we've got, you know, 200 plus farm bill biologists all over the country ready willing and interested in helping help create your property uh or improve your property for better wildlife habitat whether that's quail in tennessee pheasants in kansas um or you know sharp tail country and um you know north dakota or sage grouse out west we have farm bill biologists doing a lot of different things yeah and for our setup there um it, it was a win-win for everybody you know the farmer didn't lose any harvest hmm. um the landowners didn't um didn't you know it wasn't something out of their pocket you know right. they actually got tax deductions i hmm. think one program even paid them um and and in, in return we get birds yeah we get habitat and it, it wasn't just going to affect bobwhite quail but it was going to introduce, um, you know, more stuff for the deer to come out to or the turkeys to, to, to feed on, you know. So I think it's just it's just a winning ticket for, for everybody. Uh, so I want to go back and talk dogs a little bit, mm. which I know is a topic uh, near and dear to your heart. Um, you know, we, we've touched on you tighten up your pups in September in montana and north dakota the, the big country then you move them into the tight country and grouse cover mm-hmm. then you move them back out to the big country in kansas mm-hmm. and then you got kind of both in arizona because mm-hmm. the tight work in Merns mm-hmm. and the big country of the desert how do you go back and forth to, and talk to me a little bit about um getting a dog to adapt between those different types of needs or does the bird teach him how to do that? Or is it you run certain dogs in the grouse woods and different dogs in the big country? How do you approach all those questions? Yeah, definitely, you know, the grouse dog thing is, uh, you know, it's it's a little bit more isolated to certain dogs that I have. I mean, I'm probably only running five dogs the whole season. So rough grouse, because they're so darn bumpy, those are the toughest birds for a dog to handle. Yeah, I mean, it's either that or, you know, I was, I was getting by with the short hairs, but it was just, it was too much nose on the ground. And, you know, I knew, but I didn't know because that's all I had. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then the pointer kind of, the the, the, the two pointers, point. yeah, the two pointers I have, I, I the, the light went on for me. I, I realized it now. Um, it's a different... It's it's a different. Um, they enter the woods with a with a different set of knowledge. It seems you hmm. know. Um, I did notice the then you know when you're, um, what pearl. was the pearl pearl? I wanted to say penny, but pearl went on point uh, this morning, and it was like what because you don't I don't see very many English pointers in the grouse woods there's a guy at the office Rich Wissink who has um, English pointers but that's really it but when you see that you know that English pointer in the grouse woods and the head held up high you're like okay I kind of get it mm-hmm. that yeah. that uh, that's a pretty sweet scene yeah and but it's not just so much that they you know they all find them mm-hmm. it's how do they act after they find them, mm. after they find them, and um, and and you know that's the make or break of whether you can get guys you know into a good shot. 
Right. And and I need the dog that that gives the customer the best opportunity. Um, because it's it's that follow up that really kills me with the short hair. Mm. You know. Um, but the follow up. Yeah, let's say the dog's out 190 and it walked. Oh, just creeping a little it's bit. It's that next, well, yeah, you know what Oh, I the went, bird's, and, the and bird's I moving. Yep, the bird's moving or maybe even stopped the flush or you know, it took off. Dog watched where it went. Dog knows. Mm-hmm. But how does it make that approach into that next encounter? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, it's just working better for me this way now. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. then going back to you Kansas, feel bad telling I, a short hair guy that, yeah, don't you? I, well, I feel I'm, I, you know, it's my first love. I don't want, in, you know, and like I look, I put Pearl and Rita down on Mern's Quail. I don't ever want Pearl to beat her. You know, Rita's my Rita. Queen. So Pearl's the English pointer. Rita's the short hair. Mm-hmm. And, and they run together tandem daily. Yeah, they're they're like they're the competitive team. Yeah. They work together. They don't they 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 love they I don't think they love backing each other, but yeah. they back each other nice. Um but they they weave in and and they let each other work. That's the thing is you know, you're asked about what dog works, what cover. It's more like what dog works better with what other dog. Mm. You know, let's say I have 3 on the ground. Mm. Um you know, I have I have 3 that really work good together. Mm-hmm. Um if, if if I put another three out and maybe it's a disaster, so then I just run these two. Um, but it's who complements each other, and then they have to complement each other for that cover, mm-hmm. and then they have to complement each other for that cover and that client. Mm-hmm. And so that's all a factor too. Um, you know, you got you could take a real big running dog like Tommy and cut the miles off um, a sixty-five plus gentleman mm-hmm. that you know doesn't have a eight mile desert day yeah you know because he'll go out there and find them and then we'll have more like the walking dog you Mm -hmm. know um somebody that because they do they like seeing the dog work they really do and um but that could just mean you know less encounters out this way or you know over another ridge so i like to pair that up too a little bit um so i i get you know the um just going back to the grouse with a, you know, a setters and English pointers and a head held high, set, you know, sniffing the air for scent rather than a short hair on the ground. So it makes perfect sense. If you go back to pheasants, it feels like a dog that does have that um, ground scent mm-hmm. is probably an advantage on pheasants for cripples and tracking. You, do you think that, or is that just a one short hair owner's biased opinion? Well, last two years ago, I had a I had a guy from Canada didn't tell me what he did for a living, and uh, I put two short hairs down. He's not a short hair person, mm-hmm. and but I didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. And so we had a windy day. The Merns quail were actually weaving through all day long, and the dogs through the grass. You know, sometimes it was big loops the whole time they were on birds, but they never put the birds up. Hmm. So, you, you know. You said birds quail, so this was in Arizona? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was in Arizona. It happens on pheasants. I don't mind the track and trail. Mm-hmm. If the birds run in and, and, and it's what it has to do to stay with it, as long as they're not putting it up right. out of range, um, which is going to happen. I mean, it's nothing's that serious where you got to be perfect sure. every time, but... 
you know, but for sake of, you know, a running bird, I, I don't, I'll let them dogs do it. The dog, every one of my dogs got a green light to just do whatever <laughs> they want to do. But, um, we just adapt to that. So, you know, if it's a day the birds are running, then I'm going to put a dog down that knows how to track right. a trail. I might compliment it with another right. dog. You know, and now we got a half breed. Yeah, and he's like my, he's like my little toy. We do, he does a flashpoint flush. <laughs> now the birds go up higher, and we got better shots. Yeah. That, well, I think you answered it right. Um, you know, it's maybe not what I was expecting, but you do. You you went back to you know finding the right combo situation of the day what's happening with the birds and when you when you're a guy that owns 15 <laughs> dogs you set yourself up for success that that way yeah <laughs> I, I, i'm looking really forward to the future i mean um, they say setters do it better and now i got three of them <laughs> they're all puppies but um time's coming soon yeah yeah that'll be fun that's a new chapter you know. So when will you make the move to retrievers and in flushing dogs? Oh, I'm gonna let Phil Filthy Phil's gonna he's got this black lab and we actually ran three dogs the other day. Um I had Lily running out big on the flank. He keeps Jack kinda out in front, just swinging. Yeah. And uh I ran another um pointed dog and those three together, it was a great compliment. Dog goes on point. Jack moves in. He can sit and heal it if he wants. But all of a sudden, you know, he gives it the command. and whoosh. So we're going to work on that a little bit. I probably won't be pulling the trigger on anything. Although uh, my girlfriend wants an English cocker. She <laughs> wanted a boy, and I'm like, nah, we're not going down that path. <laughs> but I may I may add one more dog, and uh, we'll see. Uh, so you, you mentioned Filthy Phil. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us who Filthy Phil is. Filthy Phil um, is my guy. He <laughs> he he left a a really good career to to pursue this life, and um, you know it's he he walked away from something that would have made him very successful to something that's going to put him on the grind for many years in front of him. But he looked at the situation, and I told him, I'll tell you no lies, Then I'll work 365 days a year, and I will make sure that uh, that you were right back where you were and happier. Hmm. You know, he was answering the phone 365 days a year. Oh, boy. But um, he, he brings an aura to me and to the people around that were, I mean, he was out at the RGS, at the national hunt. I was so glad to have him see these venues that you know mm-hmm. that I was doing by myself um he he just he's he's my he's my even keel you know like he 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 helps me with the with the stuff that I can't that just bogs me down like but technology he, Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's, he's got all he's, your sport yeah. dog uh, tech twos ready to roll. Right? All the tech stuff in my life has gotten so much better. <laughs> and from everything to books, to social media, to newsletters, uh, he brings a lot to the table that I would never be able to have time or even care for. And uh, if, if folks want to follow fi- uh, Filthy Fil- Phil. Filthy, I, filthy uh, Upland. Filthy Upland and spelled P-H-I-L. T H Y U P L A N D. Yeah, filthy upland on Instagram and border to border on Instagram. Um, another thought, another question for you about um, the comparisons, because I'm fascinated by 
you know, grouse hunting to pheasant hunting to quail hunting and, and comparing. Um, what about from a shooting perspective when we walk into the woods to hunt grouse versus the field um, for pheasants versus uh, quail? Is there any coaching that you can give to people you take out um, that applies, you know, different things that you tell people when you go from a shooting perspective into the um, different covers? Yeah, like, um, you know, in the month of October, um, basically, you know, the, the dog is just showing you, hey, there's something in the area. Now it's up to you to get in front of the dog and find an area that you can pull your gun and not hit every branch and you know, and, and be able to swing, you know, you're looking out for what's going to happen in front of you, um, you know, much before it happens. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, the biggest thing is, is, is the dog's just there to tell you, you know, there's something in the area and now it's up to you to, to get it up and get it fine. Um, Arizona and in Kansas, you know, it's that typical, you're behind the dog, dog finds the bird, um, I still want them getting out closer. You know, the dog again. The dog's just there to tell you. Mm -hmm. and, and if it's if it's running, we're gonna relocate. He'll get back in front of you again. But don't lose that twenty yards. That could have been the 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 in range or out of range. Cause then you either got a wounded bird, mm -hmm. and we gotta go. You know, try and find that, or we lost a um, a bird that's gonna die overnight or something. Um. And then, and, and, and then know your proximities. In the woods, you know, we're looking at, you know, the bird flushes this way 40 yards or flushes this way 40 yards. Why do we want to be buddies 15 mm -hmm. yards apart? Right, right. So, you know, I like to get people out in a U, you know, come up, get around, get out, spread it out. A lot more birds in the bag at the, at the end of the day that way. So for folks that have never hunted behind pointers before, how should they approach a dog on point? Um, you know, it's, it's situational. Um, you know, a lot of times we just come right up the butt, but you know, a lot of times I'm coming in on a flank, mm -hmm. you know, um, which look at the dog, which way is, um, his nose. Um, sometimes their eyes will even tell you, mm -hmm. you know, if they're froze, like, Hey, they're looking at the birds over there. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, and, and a lot, a lot of times I just like to come back and swing and look right back at the dog, mm -hmm. you know, maybe trap or block that bird in, um. Again, you know, it's situational. There's every point seems to have a different tree in front of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> especially in the grouse woods. Yeah, right? or even in Arizona. I mean, we're hunting heavy, heavy live oak trees, and uh, and and a lot of times, you know, you, you're you're looking for the same kind of lane you're looking for right here in Minnesota. Hmm. What's your favorite bird to eat? Ooh, good. I thought you were gonna say hunt. Um, eat. Eat. Yeah, I'm not going to put you on the spot to try to, well, maybe we will, but let's start with eat. Because I know, I know you like, uh, you do like to cook. You were telling me about sharp tails you, you cooked I up do. for some folks. Um, yeah, I do love to eat sharp tails. And um, you also told me, in the span of 24 hours, you've told me you love pretty much every bird. Woodcock, uh, you, you know, like eat those. Um, I like sage grouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you I told really, me about really smoking do. sage grouse. Yep, um, I like I like to I like I like to cook sage grouse a lot actually. Um, quail's the best, Mern's quail. Yeah. Yep. What makes that the best? It's pure. It is uh, it, done right. It is the best two bites that you'll ever have. Is that and, right? And it, yeah. I mean, uh, rough grouse is awesome. It's a little bit thicker, 
they resemble each other quite a bit, but uh, Mearns is probably the biggest breasted mm. quail species. And uh, it's just a, a mix of their mix of their their diet and and their lazy lifestyle. Mm. It'd, it'd be like kind of a elk to a moose, mm. you know, like the, the the grouse is the elk and 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 the Mearns is the moose. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's the first time that comparison's I ever think been. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, you were worried I was going to ask you what your favorite bird to hunt? Camel's uh, quail, prickly uh, pear. Uh, there you go. Yeah, so favorite bird to eat is the Merns. Favorite bird to hunt is the Gambles. Yeah, well, rough grouse and Gambles. But, you know, I got 60 days of Gambles, and I got 31 days of, of, of rough grouse. If I had to do grouse for 62 days, mm. you know, yeah, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> I'm ready to head south. Which is the, What's the hardest bird to hunt? Rough grouse. How yeah. come? Everything. Um, you know... To, to to be where I'm at and watch people come in with five birds on an ATV and say that they're just a dumb bird that sits on the trail. And so somebody said to me the other day, he goes, those are partridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes, the grouse are in the woods. Mm-hmm. And so I don't spend a whole lot of time on the trail because I'm not successful at it. And just, uh, I want to be in the woods and I want to be lost in the woods. Mm-hmm. And so I like the way that we handle things better when we don't, see the trail for hours at a time um but you know like i got i got vendetta birds all over this land and (laughs) and see i don't have vendetta quail um quail go up they usually go down and if i'm on you know but like a grouse i could be on and it's still gonna beat me Hmm. you know it's yeah And, and you just bring all the aspects of like too much rain and you know you know the water table's high so you you know you, everything about it your boots are full of water mm. you, you you're wet there's there's we got eight inches of snow mm. earlier this month and it was running down the back and the back of my neck and ended up in my where my belt was right. you know and and then you throw you know the fact that you, you, you can barely swing mm-hmm. half the time you know um, but I'm getting better. I don't shoot a lot of birds, but the ones that I'm getting contacts with, m- more are going down now than they have been in the future or in the past. But it's my eighth year now up here, and I'm starting to figure things out. What's um, what are some of your go-to gear items uh, for different? You know. Do you have a favorite vest that works for all the different species you hunt? Or is there an e-collar? What, you know, give us a couple of things that you can't leave home without. Okay. Um, Sport Dog 2525 with a beeper. Um, teamed up with a Tech 2. I use them both together. So a GPS uh, and e- a beeper collar combo. Yep. Um I put the the handheld for the GPS in my Wingworks vest. Okay. Made from Quail Forever, San Diego <laughs> chapter. Um, so a, a shout out to our San Diego chapter of Quail Forever. They, yes, uh, thank you so much. They gave you a Wingworks vest for donating a hunt. Yes. Oh no, they uh, that was just a thank you after donating oh, okay. the hunt. Yeah, every, cool. there was it was a, another win win situation for everybody. That was a great time. Um, great people, actually. That group down there does more wild desert habitat projects than anybody ever. Hmm. More than Arizona, 
we don't really do a whole lot, but they're out there on their time off building guzzlers and literally they want their quail around yeah. and and it's awesome they send me pictures all the time of their guzzlers and different yeah. places they put them in the desert um anyways um well good news is we got a couple of new chapters in arizona so things are on the improve there too. i know i need to get more involved it's just so tough because when they're doing all their stuff i'm in the middle of my season yeah. and i don't have a day off um but anyways, um, so the Wingworks vest, that's that's my new toy there. I love it a lot. Um, it, it it carries everything I need, um, a lot of water. It sits right on me. It was custom built, so it fits everywhere. Um, the Tech 2, I live, uh, live or die by that thing. <laughs> it, 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 I feel like that's the tool that I can't leave home without any day. That's for sure. My number one, especially too. in the woods here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know you like to get lost, but uh, your clients well, like to find their way home. <laughs> I don't use it to get home because I can never really dissect uh, taking it further than that. But that leads me to my phone and the Onyx off-grid oh, maps. Yeah, Onyx maps. Yep. yep. So big fan of that, Filthy Phil. He showed me and every little thing that I needed to know, and I probably far from tapping into all the things that it's good for. Um, I want to talk about boots. Um, waited six months to get my Russell moccasins. <laughs> wow. It's worth it. Those boots were a game changer, but, um, I can't wear them every day. So I have three pairs of boots now and, uh, the Danner Grouse are hands down. I can wear them from September 1st till February 11th and throw them away. Hmm. It's no, it's a four hundred dollar investment, but they're not going to make it past that. <laughs> but it's you, worth the investment because they are daily. I can I could wear them fifteen hours a day. And then my newest thing is the uh, the the new uh, Red Wing. Um, um, what do they call the setter? Irish setter wing shooters. They're no. These are the um, these are their their hiking boots. Oh, I'm gonna post them on Instagram. Yeah. I'm never really wanted to endorse anything like like you gotta have this uh-huh. if you, everybody's kind of switching over in arizona to the hiking boot lows yeah. morels or something sure. but uh these ones i could wear them 24 hours really i could i could go to bed wake up go and they they've got a rubber coating on the front it's a vapor track no uh, i'll put them on the live okay. feed okay because to be honest that that was the only thing that was uh made me extremely happy in Montana cool. in North Dakota. Well, they Irish And then you team them up with the with the Amazon uh $12 Gators. Yeah. And you're you're home free. Huh. I mean, yeah, great. Unbelievable. <laughs> well, you've uh you've hit on a bunch of our national sponsors, so Irish Setter, Onyx Maps, Dog. So it's so a well done, Patrick. Oh, and I learned a lot about federal premium there's, ammunition. There's another one. There's a you only shoot federal ammo. Mm-hmm. I saw that today. Twenty eight gauge. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, you were also shooting a, a Vista product, which is owner owner of Federal. You were shooting a Stevens five fifty five. Mm-hmm. Is that is that a gun that you shoot um, no matter where you go, or do you switch up shotguns? Yeah, I actually, didn't, I. I I loaned my SKB out um, to um, Alder Fork is here with his wife, and she was loving the gun, so she's got my gun. Okay. And so, therefore, um, I took that Stevens out and, and actually had it out a few times this year, and I'm shooting better with it. But I You shot just fine with it today. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's it it really in quail the same thing. It's like four point five pounds. It's yeah. like carrying nothing. Um, open open choke. Um, I love the gun, and I can throw it on the ground and work the dog if I'm not worried about you mm-hmm. know. And it's just it, the best gun under six hundred bucks you can get. Open open choke. So are you shooting skeet uh, cylinder cylinder skeet cylinder? Um, okay. Yeah, and that one the SKB's you know fixed choke mod improved, mm-hmm. but. I'm not really a gun guy, you know. That's to right. Be like, you, I don't. You it's know. a tool, man. Yeah, you're right. I shot a Stoger for like six years. Yeah. It does, it, it, you you strike me as a guy that it doesn't really matter what kind of gun you put in your hands. You're going to there's feather, throw it on the ground. <laughs> feathers are going to fall. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> well. Oh, I, hey, no. Um, let's talk about this real quick. Yes. Yeah, so, CZ just sent me the brand new Supreme. Okay. And I I got I was I was getting ready to leave to come up here and uh, and they called and uh, they said what's your uh, FFL mm-hmm. and uh, I was like what who's this oh, <laughs> you get a gun coming <laughs> really cool um so I I give them the, I give them the number twenty five bucks I got this gun and open it up it's a silky it's gorgeous this, yeah yeah and so you know I was like yeah I'm really attached to my side by side and uh, I took it out to South Dakota. No, I took it out to Nebraska where I started the season, Montana, and North Dakota, and I used it in those three states. And I'm telling you, the amount of times I pulled the trigger and the amount of times the bird fell was almost 100%. <laughs> really? I'm not kidding. Was it? A, it is a really nice gun. Oh, it's beautiful. It's got beautiful engraving in the receiver. But it just patterns great. Is it? A, did you get a 12-gauge? No. I don't own a 12-gauge. 20? Yes. <laughs> I don't own a 12 gauge. Yeah, you you shoot a 28 for grouse. I saw that today. Do mm-hmm. you shoot 28 for quail? Yep. And then you shoot 20 for pheasants. Yeah, but last year I shot. Uh, I, I I wouldn't leave Minnesota. I I all the pheasant hunting in Minnesota is with 28. Mm-hmm. Made it a a mandatory deal. They say that they um you know folks that uh, do the patterning say 28 has some of the best pattern shot of any gauge um you have a lot of confidence in 28s enough to drop roosters uh i just watched phil drop a sage grouse at like 40 yards and a headshot yeah i mean it was was ridiculous Hmm. to watch that bird that size come down and he didn't know he had it in him you know he didn't even know the gun had it in (laughs) another cz yeah yeah yeah, CZ makes very nice shotguns for the, particularly for the price. Yeah, exactly. You know, but uh, I, I do have my, I, do, I did make a deal with Fausti. Um, so I, when I hit, when I, when I, when I make it, um, I made a deal twenty five hundred out of pocket. Yeah. In a couple of days hunting. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, one thing bef- as we were prepping for this conversation is like one thing you were adamant about talking about was the next generation. Yep. You know, you um, you know, you see a lot of hunters um, come through, whether that's up here uh, in the grouse woods or the pheasant fields of Kansas or quail hunting in Arizona, and you're you're concerned about um, the next generation picking up this um, passion for the outdoors. Yeah. Um, you know, you see it on TV with the outdoor channel and stuff. Um, everybody's hunting deer, you know, everybody's wearing camel, but, uh, I just want to see the kids with the dogs, you know, and, and, and 
you know, just because it's partial to me, um, I, w- I want to see that, uh, you know, Pheasant Fest 2030. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you, 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 you One know, decade. Well, yep. Yeah. I won't, and you've got a great crew, and they're young. Yeah. yeah. But we're, we know, the, it's a fast-moving world, and we're consumed with everything coming out of college and, and, and student loans and, you know, um, it, it if, if if your dad didn't have a dog or you weren't growing up, you know, with that. So uh, what I want to do is, like we did with handball, um, um, it was a club sport. And so at colleges, we, at the, you know, when you come in for um, orientation. Sure. We basically recruited that day. Mm-hmm. And in four years, um, we had kids come in, gave them their first pair of gloves, and by the time they were senior in college, they were an open player, and some of them even are in the pros today. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of the way I want to do it. Um, as far as like how to do it, hmm. I think right now we got to just kind of lean on Project Upland. They they seem to be the front runner in capturing a young audience, and I hope they last for uh, uh, well over the next decade. What and, do you think's resonating there um, with Project Upland? Yeah, yeah, good things. Um, I mean, first habitat and, and and exposing it the right way um you know it's never it's never about uh the kill shot more about what led up to um a good point or mm-hmm. um a bird in hand after you made the shot but that video that was done um with that young kid that was chasing that grouse all around and they interviewed him did you see that i one? didn't see that one no um so um mr Fouts, um he took a kid hunting. It was filmed, um, and it was shown at the RGS hunt. And and that kid is that's the kid that I want ten thousand more of. Mm. You know, uh, boy or girl, but that kid had a background that was going to lead him into the into hunting. So right. we just got to make sure that if you're taking your son hunting, or, or you take let's take your son's friend hunting too. Um, and, and because maybe that just that experience right there um, will spark when he's 23 and, and he's out of college and he's right. settled down and he wants a bird dog. Or she, right? She. Yeah, that was the other part of my question is how many um, how many gals are you seeing um, in your guiding trips these days? Um, not, a, not a lot, to be honest. Um, I've got a group of four Texas girls coming out at the end of February. I mean, at the end of the uh, season in February, um, I've done a few husband and wives. Yeah, we got Katie in camp right now. Yep, Katie's in camp. She shot her first rough grouse over her own dog off point with Lily back in yesterday. Yesterday was the best day of dog work I've had in the grouse woods. I think maybe all season for sure. Dog back and dogs. I mean, it was it was unbelievable. Broke just. I mean, allowing us to get in and, and work these birds and the posture. Setter pointer mix was gorgeous. <laughs> and uh, um, last year I had a father-daughter, and he was so proud to take his daughter hunting. They already had their meals planned. And I told him when I, in the car that day, I was like, oh, you know what I made the other night? And I and I described you know how I made the birds. And she goes, Dad. And they were just like, that's exactly what they were going to do. And it wasn't something like fry it up and batter yeah. their, You know, something kind of neat. And they wanted to do the same thing. Anyhow, the father spent 25 shells hmm. and shot a bird. 
and she shot two. Nice. And uh, it was pretty. It was pretty special. But he felt like he let her down, and I mean, I almost had to give him a hug. Like, dude, just come back. You can do this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to go through twenty-five shells, and he wanted it so bad, and uh, you know, you wish maybe he would have been able to make that dinner, but the three wasn't gonna do it. <laughs> Next year. Yeah. No, but we've had, I've had, I've had a few. Um, I know they're out there. Um, no limit kennels. Um, mm-hmm. he's working with a, a a nice girl that is doing it for uh for the passion yeah. of the animal instead instead of maybe um going down another path that might have been you know easier or something but she followed her heart um Alora and then you know it's just I I really think like you know I mean the allure of of uh of TV and, and it's set up for a lot of girls to 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 put a bow in their hands or or, or shoot an animal, but um, to run a dog takes a special one. But we have the ones we have are pretty special. Yeah, we definitely see it um, at Pheasants Forever. More and more women um, getting involved, even in our office. You know, mm-hmm. and it is as you've mentioned, uh, um, the dog connection is a is a big motivator. I wanted to take. Um, um, Go go in just another direction for a moment, and that's um, to talk about, um, you know, when when for you it was the 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 dog that brought you into the outdoors, right? Do you see the guides or the the people that are hunting with you? Um, do you talk about what's getting them involved in? bird hunting is it is it the food aspect or being outdoors or the connection to family or is it the dog um what um from these folks that you guide all over america what are some of the trends that you see yeah um you know most of them they they it's almost 100 percent the the dog work. it is it, huh. it really is um i just guided um a guy that has um two shows on the discovery channel and he hunts you know a lot of ducks and a lot of deer and he he the word dog must have came out of his mouth like the whole weekend mm-hmm. the whole weekend <laughs> like he just kept talking about the dogs the dogs the dogs and I mean, and it was just always a smile on his face and one thing is uh you know the dogs that i have are pretty personable um you know when we siesta yeah they might they get you know, a little too friendly, but you know, yeah. they're, they're family. <laughs> they work for you. You know, some hugs so, and kisses. Yeah, so. we have a lot of like lay at your feet. You know, for an hour a day while we're having lunch and just kind of hanging out. Mm. So the dogs are, you know, they're definitely um, a part of the show. Yeah, um, a, lot, a lot better looking than than, than <laughs> me mostly. <laughs> well, speaking of the show and uh, being able to see you, you, we we talked a little bit about Project Upland um, that you're going to be. Um, Project Upland is going to be with you in December in Arizona, mm-hmm. f- um, shooting a film, mm-hmm. I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, so not to steal their thunder, but do you want to tease what you're going to be, um, what kind of hunt you're expecting there? Yeah, so we're going to come down um, December 18th. So, you know, it's kind of we're um, about 10 days into the season, okay. a week into the season for Mern's Quail. Um, we're going to experience it all, you know, um, obviously, um, beyond the hunting, um, the cooking, um, 
the land itself and, and how it got to be, you know, where we're at right now with some of the things that are going on currently and past. Because um, it is a historic, you know, part of the, the nation, you know. Mm-hmm. It was one of the last states to join the Union. And uh, we are, you know, well, a couple miles from Mexico, so that's always intriguing. Um, and then we're going to, you know, we're going to go for all um, three species of birds and, and learn about, you know, how they spend their day in different kind of um, habitat. And, um, I do plan on bringing them outside of the box and back into the Sonoran Desert for, for, for something there to see. Because we're, you know, everything's kind of, you know, murns, 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 murns. But uh, the Sonoran Desert is something to wake up to if you can get a sunrise. It it goes from black to about 19 colors hmm. in 19 minutes. It's great. <laughs> and then the cows walk by and they have like choya bulbs hanging out. You know, wow. You're never going to see a, a, a such a tough cow anywhere in America, but the, <laughs> the desert cow, the Sonoran Desert. So you've got, I'm making, I'm looking at this list. Um, so you got Project Upland film um, taking place in December. Mm-hmm. You film part of an episode of The Flush last yeah, part year. Two. Mm-hmm. And you're going to film part two this year. So that'll air The Flush on Outdoor Channel. That'll that'll show up um, probably July, August time frame of 2019. I'm guessing that's and then I, I just I just realized that I should have brought this up earlier. Uh, there's a photo essay mm-hmm. of yep. the uh, Arizona quail hunt with the two Vincent boys, Marco and Ian. Mm-hmm. That photo essay will be in the winter issue of the Quail Forever Journal, mm-hmm. which will mail in November. So you're going to go from... <laughs> Uh, you're going to become overexposed right now. Yeah, yeah. That's why I don't like talking about the <laughs> whole nomad story and everything. It's just, I have a house now. <laughs> yeah. That chapter so is like. The nomad story you're referring to is um, so that back in the day, we're talking about seven years ago, probably now. That no, five years ago, the story that, the Oryx story that um, talked about you being the quote-unquote homeless guide. Three right? and a half years ago. I Three moved, and a half years. It wasn't December 1st of 2017 okay, that so I moved into a home. Okay, it was a little while ago now. Yeah. Um, that that Pioneer Press story, we should post that uh, link because it is a tremendous story. But you do own a home now. You're very stable. Life is good. Yeah, yeah. We got 18 kennels built to last. Beautiful kennels. Um, 88-foot slab. Um 13 foot runs, four feet wide, all welded steel, hmm. knee walls, um, 24-7 pure clean drinking water. And uh, I actually just found out we got a, um, a roof going up here before I get home. Nice. Yeah, made a deal with a, made a deal with a guy that knows how to get things and knows how to weld. And he's <laughs> building this massive roof and then he's going to travel with it. Um, in the middle of the night because it's, it's like oversized load. <laughs> <laughs> so he's building it on his property, and then he's going to come in, and uh, they're going to have to bring in some equipment to hang it so he can tack and make his welds and stuff, and then he's going to lag bolt it. But it's going to, yeah, it's unbelievable. Cool. I mean, the dogs deserved it. I worked. If anything I'm more happy about is I sleep fine right now um, in the camper still, you know, no heat, no electricity, no running water. But. I'm just glad that, that at least my Hank and Jackson and the older dogs, you know, that 
they get to finish out in in a good in a good nice environment at home yeah that's so that you're referring to you got a camper here that you stay in in october mm-hmm. that you and the pups in minnesota yeah. you stay in a camper do you, do you stay in the in the camper in kansas too yeah and then now for the first september time since... when you get home to arizona yeah there'll be a house waiting for you well, yeah. I mean, I stayed there this, but I mean, I got there December first and started guiding the second. Yeah, you know, so it was like I never really got to enjoy well, I, the the this. It didn't sink in yet, you know. It was just a place to lay my head, but it is home. Um, and 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 there's and we got eight acres, and there's there's so much more that we can. You know, we built a Johnny house. We have quail. We have you know just got on the tractor one day and weaved through. We got four acres of just pure grass and mm. all quail all over and so built a little training you know like a uh, like a run you know like a little raceway to and so that's kind of cool we'll get the you know launch birds out of there great place to do yard training so from february 11th when quail season ends till you head up north to montana mm-hmm. uh outside of dog training what keeps you busy um yeah the, social media yeah i wish <laughs> um so good at that um but the uh what is the off season like you know uh really it's it, i haven't had one yet yeah there's always something like so this year now it's like the, the farm in missouri mm. um working on your property yeah working on the future um you, your your books yeah like you know still got to run a business so yeah. you got to go through all your books tax season's kind of rolling around fast which works out nice because in um april 15th is right then um pheasant fest mm-hmm. you know that's a that's we really literally get out of the season throw the dogs in the box and go to head north you know um and then you know i've got my girlfriend yeah that's uh that's that's been a real treat for me somebody that would that has accepted this life and yeah i love her a lot so hopefully maybe soon there'll be some changes there uh we'll see you want to give a shout out say hello Uh, to lacey leatherman hi lacey (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, if folks want to, uh, again, follow you, uh, Instagram's probably where you're most active, right? Mm-hmm. And that's Border to Border Outfitters. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you're on Facebook too, right? Yeah. Um, I was uh, 50 million hacked and I logged out and I can't get in. It's okay. Been months. Border to Border Outfitters on Instagram. Go there. <laughs> and if folks want to ask you some questions about um, um, guiding, you know, booking a hunt, Minnesota, October for rough grouse, mm-hmm. November in Kansas for pheasants, mm-hmm. or uh, kind of those winter months um, from December through mid-February, February 10th for quail in Arizona. Correct. How do people reach you? Uh, border, borderoutfitters.com. Okay. And please sign up for the newsletter. Uh, send us an email. We will keep it very private and very serious um but it's a great way f- to stay in the loop of the things that are coming up um i do want to let you know that um the the whitetail property is um the the pollination program and the farm in missouri has allowed us to do three whitetail a year hmm. um while we grow on the 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 bobway quail out there and so there's you know i'm not really known as a big game hunter Mm-hmm. Um, but why not offer something that's 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 there for us? So um, if you're interested in that, um, we're only doing three a year, so and no rifle hunts. 
Cool. Well, and, you know, I'll, I'll give the pitch. National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic coming up February 22nd through the 24th. Uh, Patrick's donated hunt to Arizona, uh, which you'd be able to use in the 2019 season, which I suppose would be the winter of 2019, 2019-2020, mm-hmm. right? Uh, will be on auction at Pheasant Fest, probably at that Saturday night banquet on the 23rd. Uh, again, he's a spectacular guy as a human being. He's also uh, a great supporter of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever uh, and has been for a number of years. Um, Patrick, thanks for making time to not only take me out this morning, but chat with uh, the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever audience this morning. Had a good time. Thank you. All right, folks, I uh, am looking outside at uh, picture window, picture window, Elephant Lake, and there's still sun. We still got a couple hours in the day, which means Patrick and I are going to go. Well, I'm going to go let some short hairs loose. Patrick's going to go let 15 dogs. He can decide which ones. (laughs) And we're going to go see if we can find another rough grouse. And then I'll follow him to Kansas and then Arizona. I hope you do too. Thank you for listening to this episode of On the Wing, brought to you by Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Please make a commitment to take somebody out bird hunting this year. It doesn't have to be a kid, but it can be. Bring bring a friend, bring your spouse, bring a child, um, and get them introduced to conservation and sign them up for a membership too. It all Uh, feeds each other hunting conservation habitat and food it's all interconnected and that's a pretty important part of life so thanks for listening on on the wing and i'll talk to you down the trail